When you're in the market for a new car, you want a vehicle that conquers your daily commute, easily handles the elements, and looks great too. You need the reliability of a Toyota and the confidence that your investment will last. Why? Because after all the carpools, shopping trips, and weekends out, you want a car that still has plenty of miles left in it and holds its value for a great trade-in deal. That's where Toyota leads the pack as the number one resale value brand for 2024, according to Kelly Blue Book's KBB.com. So check out the all-new, fully redesigned 2025 Camry or test drive a stylish and affordable Corolla sedan or hatchback. And remember, when you choose Toyota, you're not just buying a car for today, you're investing in trade-in value for tomorrow. Visit buyatoyota.com, the official website for deals, for more. Vehicles projected resale value is specific to the 2024 model year. For more information, visit kellybluebookskbb.com. Kelly Blue Book is a registered trademark of Kelly Blue Book Company, Incorporated. Toyota, let's go places. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast where we talk about strategies and tips for how to create more happiness in our everyday lives. This week is our 200th episode. So this is a very special episode and Ask Us Anything episode. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, the four tendencies, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft. And Elizabeth, when we started doing this podcast, we never looked into the future to imagine doing it 200 times. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And Gretchen, I can't believe today of all days when we're celebrating our 200th episode, I was late to record (laughs) because, and I'm almost never late, but it is pouring here, which it never does. Which it never does. Um, Never does. Traffic was at a standstill on the 101, and I was about to run out of gas, which I'm never about to run out of gas because I'm psycho about keeping my gas tank filled. But um, events conspired, and I was sitting on the freeway late for our 200th episode and thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm going to run out of gas and, like, have to have AAA come rescue me from the 101. So it was a very stressful morning, but I'm going to try to compartmentalize, take that (laughs) off, and just celebrate our 200th episode. I can't believe we got here. I mean, I remember doing our pilot episode. Yes. Um, way back when and thinking, oh my gosh, you know, is this really going to be something? And now we've done 200 episodes. I know, I know. And it is funny where you're like, oh, we've got this all figured out. And then it's the 200th one where it's like, okay, no, everything is suddenly like in crisis. But we're you're back in the microphone and we're ready for our 200th episode. It's so exciting. And Gretchen, I'm having some technical difficulties on my end. So I'm sorry if I don't sound perfect. I'm trying to get it all worked out. It's not your day. It's not your day. And yet you're here with us. So that we will lift your spirits in happiness. It's all going to be good. 
Um, Gretchen, before we dive into our Ask Us Anything episode, we want to mention that if you have, if you need a last minute holiday gift, <laughs> the Happiness Project 10th Anniversary Edition makes a great gift. Um, it's got an update of, you know, from your original Happiness Project, which I loved reading, but also you can get it um, and from Amazon Prime, two-day shipping, or you can contact an indie bookstore near your gift recipient and have it ship locally. Yes, yes. Thank you for that plug. You're such a good sister. It's so exciting to have that book out in the world. Um, and, and speaking of books, um, in a recent episode, we talked about reading more in 2019. That's something that a lot of people want to do. And we heard from many people about different strategies they use to help themselves read more. And here's one that struck us as particularly interesting. Yes, this came from Kevin. He said, as part of my 18 and 18 list, I had a reading goal. This worked well to keep me motivated. I'm an obliger. And I also used a pairing technique to hit my goal. I started a new job in downtown DC this fall and paired my metro commute with reading. As soon as the doors close, I just read. No music, no podcasts, nothing but the book in hand. Then when I get to my stop, I'm done reading. It adds up to about 45 minutes a day, which has helped me plow through a bunch of books. I'm also like Liz. Audiobooks are for nonfiction, and my eyeballs get the fiction reading. In short, pairing works. So Kevin's actually using several of the strategies that I talk about in my book, Better Than Before, um, which is all about habit change. He's using the strategy of pairing. So he's pairing reading and being on the metro. So those things always go together. He's using the strategy of the clean slate. He started this new habit when he had a new job because the clean slate is one of the best times to form habits because all the old habits are wiped away. It's a great time for new habits to kick in. And he used the 18 for 2018, which is a form of monitoring, that a very kind of creative, fun uh, use of the strategy of monitoring. And so well done, Kevin. I think that's a great example of a lot of different ways that people get themselves to achieve their aims, like reading more. Yay, Kevin. So Elizabeth, for this 200th episode, we're doing Ask Us Anything, and we got so many interesting questions from listeners. Yeah, a bunch of people, Gretch, asked um, if we fight, what we disagree about, and how we handle it. Someone wanted to know if we've ever gone on air, you know, in a huge fight. Yeah. The answer is no. We don't really fight. No. <laughs> I know. It's weird. <laughs> well, it's funny because speaking of starting the podcast, when we started the podcast, somebody said to me, well, you and your sister really have to highlight your conflicts because mm. people are really, really interested in conflict. And I said, that is a really big problem because I literally have less conflict with my sister than I have with any other person in my life. So what we do have is differences. We have a lot of differences, right. but we don't really have conflict. No, we, um, I don't know if it's because we're five and a half years apart, but we were always like in our own lanes. Yeah. So we've really just never had a lot to disagree about. Um, we sort of each just do our own thing and we let the other do her own thing. Um, and we're very in sync about the podcast. I mean, we sort of both know what needs to be done. Yeah. Um, and we agree about it. Um, and it's also helpful, I think, that it's really, I mean, you're the happiness expert. I'm your guinea pig. So, um, you know, I, I, I go along with your happiness flow as best <laughs> I can. 
and you with you put up with my happiness bully moments. Um, yes, but so and I think also kind of in larger context, our sisterly context, we have very much the same values and we have the same interests. Yeah. So we yes. agree on a lot of things and we're interested in a lot of the same things, and that also makes it easier for us to like get along, but also really deeply engage with each other because it's not like we don't we're not we just get along because we never talk or we never see each other right um, yeah so um yeah we're lucky yeah we are very lucky and um people mention that all the time and they're absolutely right and getting to work together is so much fun and we're lucky it's fun if it weren't fun we wouldn't do it that's right that's right makes it yeah we would avoid it <laughs> we wouldn't be at 200 now at this point exactly um, now, Gretchen, Christine said, in a few episodes, Gretchen has mentioned taking copious notes while she reads. I'd love to learn more about that process. I tend to retain information a lot better when I take the time to record and synthesize my learning, but it ends up being so cumbersome, I rarely do it. Any tips would be welcomed. Well, Christine, I feel your pain because it is cumbersome. I do take tons and tons of notes when I read. I love doing it, but it is it does take a lot of time. Um, I have a couple gigantic documents. Like one of my documents is called Quotes 2006, you know, after 2006. And so if there's just like a beautiful passage, I will write that. But then often those, you know, quotes like that will often go into the Moment of Happiness newsletter, which is my newsletter where I send mm. out a daily quotation. So then I have to copy it in there too. I have like a whole thing about the four tendencies where when people send me really interesting insights about the four tendencies, I add to that. So that takes time. I have subjects that I've been following for a long time, some small like color or that maybe that's actually turned big, but it, it, it's a big thing. But I, I totally agree with you. I retain information so much better when I process it in that way that I just accept that that's part of my work product and um, and, and part of my process. And also, I just love doing it. Um, mm. So and then I and then I find things also through search. And so instead of having a lot of very particular documents, I have very I don't have that many documents. And then if I'm looking for something, I'll do it through word search because that's the way my mind works. So I would think my, my system is not that sophisticated. It is very time consuming, but it's worth it. <laughs> so it is cumbersome. <laughs> it, it, it just, it but, does take a lot of time. Yeah. It takes a lot of time. Um, and Elizabeth, and then Peter had a very interesting question. He said, you're both very established in creative careers. Did you always know that you wanted to be a writer and a TV writer? From what age? How did your parents feel about it? Gretchen, why did you go to law school if you wanted to be a writer? Mm, good question. <laughs> Um, I never thought I would be a writer. Um, I didn't take a writing class until um, like sophomore, junior year in college. Uh, my first class was with Danny Shapiro, who we've talked yes. about on the podcast, Gretchen. She's a great writer herself. Yes. And um, I kind of was natural. As soon as I did it, I realized like that it came very naturally to me. Um, and then I ended up working at a, at a company that published young adult books, um, really just because I desperately needed a job. And my friend Dan was like, they need a receptionist. You're, that's going to be your job um, when I was 22. And there was an opportunity to write young adult books there. And so I sort of fell into it. And then from there, I started realizing that I had a passion for TV and I really wanted to be a TV writer and I moved to Los Angeles um, to do that. And then Sarah and I hooked up as a writing team and sort of the rest is history. 
Um, now, mom and dad were always very supportive of me being a writer, or yeah. at least if they weren't, they never said anything about it. Yeah. Um, I think mom was skeptical about living in Los Angeles. Um, but to be a TV writer, you have to be in Los Angeles. Um, and I will say I have come to absolutely love Los Angeles. I can't imagine living anywhere else. It's like definitely my home. Um, I love California. So um, I think as you know, we talk about all the time and our parents really encouraged us to do what we wanted to do and to take risks. And I think if they hadn't, I wouldn't be a writer because I would have been too scared. Yeah. Yeah. No, I went to law school because I didn't know what else to do with myself. It's like, I'm good at research and writing. I'm. It'll keep my options open. It's a great education. I can always change my mind later. Um, and I didn't realize that I wanted to be a writer until I was clerking. I was clerking for Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. And that's when I was. I had an idea. And I'm like, this is an idea that could be a book. And I want to write this book. So it's interesting, Elizabeth, because you and I, neither one of us sort of went through high school or college thinking, mm -hmm. oh, this is what we're going to be, came to us later. Um, but yeah, our parents were both, were very, very supportive, even when it obviously meant taking big risks. And in my case, like turning away from a very yes. established kind of career that I had, a lot had gone into establishing that. And I was like, tra la la, now I'll do something that I'm totally yes. unprepared for. Um, so gold star to mom and so dad. Normal, yeah. <laughs> it did. It really seems so normal when you were doing it. But now when I think back on it, it was rather crazy. Well, I think, though, Elizabeth, you're the younger sister, but you were a writer first. And I think that helped mm. me take the plunge because I had the model in my in my life of somebody who was a professional writer. You were just early in your career, but you were you were a professional writer. So, um, But I think it, it's a testament to our parents that they did make it seem like, sure, fine, you know, like, you yeah. know, the, it, try it, you know. Um, yeah, it was interesting to think yeah. back on. And that. I think... A big thing they did is made us feel like you should like your job. Yes. Um, and so we both were very much pulled toward doing things that we wanted to do as opposed to doing things that we knew would be safe and secure. Yes, exactly. Okay, Gretch, this question comes from Tess. She says, I'm a huge fan of the podcast and also a huge fan of the name Eleanor. My husband and I are expecting our first child due on Christmas Eve this year. Congratulations. Congratulations. It's a girl, and we are planning on naming her Eleanor, though we pronounce it slightly differently. My husband is English, and his accent often softens the R in the final syllable. I've noticed on the show that you and Liz also pronounce the name differently. Eleanor versus Eleanor. I say Eleanor. Yes. I'm wondering how your daughter feels about these variations. How does she pronounce her own name? Is she ever frustrated by the way people say her name? Do you feel there is a correct way to say it? We love the name no matter how it is pronounced, but would love to hear about your experience. Well, I feel bad. Have I been saying it wrong all these years? Well, then I asked myself the same thing. Tess, you raised a question that had literally never occurred to me. So I go running to Eleanor, Eleanor, and I said, how do you feel about this? And Eleanor's like, eh, what's she going to do? And she, she said most people say Eleanor. It's fine if they say Eleanor. She said she did have a teacher who called her Elner, and she felt like she did oh. not like that. Um, but she is not that hung up on it. But she says overwhelmingly people say Eleanor, which is what I say. Oh, wow. But she's fine okay, with Eleanor. I'll start I, th saying that. I think that I think it's a pretty subtle difference. It's not like Kirsten Kristen, where it's like people right. really feel like you've got their name wrong. Or like if somebody goes by, I have a friend who goes by Pamela, and if people call her Pam, she get, she really doesn't like that because she feels like. But but for Eleanor, this name this name distinction is pretty subtle, and it's not something that gets her worked up. 
Because you would see why OR does suggest Eleanor. I think that seems like a more pure way of saying it or kind of like the more full way of saying it than Eleanor seems a little bit more yes. casual. Um, yeah. So, And then, of course, you also call her Eno a lot of the we time. We call her Eno because she called herself Eno when she was a baby. She couldn't say Eleanor, so she called herself Eno. So we call her Eno yeah. sometimes, yeah, especially Eno. in writing. See, there again, I say it differently. I say Eno. <laughs> you can say Eno, you can say Eno. Yeah, we, we call it Eno because okay. that's what she called herself. She said, what, you say, what's your name? She'd say Eno. Um, so thank you, Tess, for shining a light on something I did not know about my own daughter and the name that I, that my husband and I gave her. <laughs> now, Sarah has an interesting question. What were both of your sweethearts like and how did you meet them? That's a good mm, question. I remember when you met Jamie, Gretch. And I remember when you met Adam. Yes. Oh, those phone calls when we were reporting on these guys. So tell everybody how you met Adam. Um, well, I met Adam at work. We were both writers on The Shield, um, which was a um, cop show on FX. Oh, it's a great, great love. show. Yes. If you, have if you haven't it. watched The Shield, do yourself a favor and watch it. It's But fantastic. it will make you tense. <laughs> um, yes. Um, but I met Adam and he, I was just really drawn to how funny he is. Yes. I remember saying, I think to you probably like, he's the kind of funny that I would never get sick of. Yeah. Um, and I still find him to be very funny. Um, and you know what else? His family came in to visit him and I, his, his mom and his two sisters and his niece. And I was really drawn to his family. Um, ah. This is before I'd even thought about dating him. But I just really loved the vibe of his family. So um, that was also part of it, which is nice because once you get married, you're really joining a family. Yeah. Um, uh, but really, and Adam is very kind. He has um, just he's he has a lot of integrity, yeah. which um, I realize in retrospect now that we've been together eleven years is very important to me. Um, so that's what Adam is very funny, very thoughtful, yes. um, shy, um, and kind. And he's um, not on time, but he's very clean. <laughs> yes, when it comes what to the closet Jamie? clutter. <laughs> yeah, so Gretchen, tell us about um, how, about Jamie and how you guys met. Well, we met in the law school library. We were both in, at Yale Law School. I was the first year; he was the second year. And as fate would have it, um, in our at Yale, you were assigned a Carol, which is basically like a desk with two sides um, in the library that was yours, and you could leave your books there and things. But you had to be a second year to have it. So Jamie had his desk. But it, but it was sort of known tacitly that if, if there, a lot of people didn't use their carols. And so if you were a first year, you could kind of take over someone's carol by adverse possession um, if they mm. weren't using it. So I started using this carol of somebody I knew who said, yeah, I, oh, I never use my carol. You can just use my carol. Just move into my carol. So I used a carol. And so I was back to back with Jamie, which was great mm. because, like, I remember the first time I saw him walk in. I remember what he was wearing. I was just like... Oh my gosh, that is mm. like, who is that guy? And I remember I said to a friend of mine, who is that guy? And they, he, they, mm. he said, oh, he's Jamie Rubin. He's the second year and he lives with these people, you know, told me their room, his roommates. Yeah. So then I had my eye on him uh, for sure. And then it was like, oh my gosh, his carol is right by my carol. It was like the greatest thing of all time. <laughs> um, and from there, um, but he had a girlfriend. I had a boyfriend. We had to break up, do all this. So it was, it was a long and winding story. But, but yeah, so we met, we met in the law school library. That's funny, Gretchen. It also just reminded me when I met, um, when I first got to know Adam, 
I had announced that I would never be with a guy who had cats because I'm allergic <laughs> to cats. And he was very snippy and up in arms about this. Well, it turned out he had two cats. Oh. Um, and so that's why he was really taking offense because he was actually interested in me. And he thought, oh, well, she says she'll never be with a guy with two cats. Of course. Famous last you know, words. The famous last words. I ended up with two cats. Um, and I named my company Paco and Blackjack after those cats cats so um you know fate is fate yeah well sarah this is a fun question because we don't all often reminisce at the beginnings of our of our lives with our sweethearts so that was a really fun thing to think about um and elizabeth this next question is for you from tanya she says earlier this year my son alexander was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes it was a huge shock for us he is only eight years old no history of diabetes in our family except for an uncle with type 2 and it's hard to wrap my head around the fact that there is no cure and he needs to be on insulin for the rest of his life we've been able to manage it and have a wonderful team of doctors that we can contact anytime Kids are so resilient, and he is handling it a lot better than I am. I worry about his blood sugar constantly. He has a Dexcom and a pump, which makes daily management a lot easier. One thing that has helped me a lot has been to read about and talk to adults with diabetes who have gone on to live happy, healthy, and fulfilling lives. Liz, I would love if you could share a little bit of how and when you were diagnosed and how you manage now. Do low blood sugars happen when you are on set? Are you so used to it now that it doesn't affect your daily life? I'm so curious. So, Elizabeth, I remember when you told me how your doctor said, oh, I wish I wish that I could get this monkey off your back, but th- this is something that you're going to have to deal with every day. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's, it's- yes. My doctor also says having diabetes is like um, being on a freeway and just never being able to get off um, the exit. Yeah. Um, so I was undiagnosed till I was 34. Which is very, um, which is very unusual which is for very, type 1. Well, isn't it? it is, although not, it is very unusual, but not as unusual as people think. I've Ooh. actually met several people who were diagnosed in their 30s. Mm. Um, it just comes up. It's dormant in you, and then something triggers it. Um, and it's not really, it, it, it's a very random thing, you know, when you get it. So it's not like type 2. Um, it's a totally different disease from type 2. So, um, but anyway, uh, it type 1, yes, she's... He may be on insulin the rest of his life. I mean, I I will say there is so much research into type 1 all the time. I mean, a huge amount of money is poured into research. People really believe there could be a cure for type 1 diabetes. And your son may be someone who's young enough that it'll happen in his lifetime and he would be eligible for that. So we can always hope for that. But if that doesn't happen, it is absolutely something that doesn't, you know, have to be this crushing thing. I mean, is it tedious? Yes. Do I get so sick of it? Yes. Do I sort of go in and out of how good my numbers are? Yes. Um, But I'm so used to taking insulin, like I don't even think about it. Like sometimes I'm at the table and I take out my insulin, give myself a shot. And someone who doesn't know I'm diabetic is like, whoa, what's going on? You know, and I'm like, oh, I'm just giving myself a shot. I don't even think about it. Um, And having a pump and having a monitor, makes it so that you can really obviously um, always know what his numbers are and that can give you great comfort. Now, as for whether or not I have lows on set, this is funny that she mentions that because I actually live in fear of my monitor beeping (laughs) on set because I have a 24-hour wireless monitor and when when I go low, it beeps. And there's nothing you can do to make it not beep. I mean, that's just how it's made. It'll buzz or beep. 
And so, and on set, you know, you're supposed to be so quiet and I live in fear of being low and having it go off. Sometimes, in fact, I leave it in my office if I'm going to be on set because I'm just so paranoid about it going off, even though I rarely have lows. It's just, I'm convinced that it'll happen at the worst possible time. Well, I remember one time, Elizabeth, we were doing a podcast recording and all of a sudden this went off and you were like, wait a minute, I just, I have to deal with this. Um, Yes. But but that was the only time that I'd ever heard it go off in all the time I spend with you. It's unusual yeah it's rare when it usually goes off is like during the middle of the night sometimes when Mm. for whatever reason i get a low and then it wakes you up and then it's such a drag because you have to get up and eat something Mm -hmm. um like in the middle of the night so look it's a drag i'm not gonna say it's not it really is but um you know, dad said to me when I first got diagnosed that he'd heard somebody say um, one of the best ways to live a long life is to get a chronic disease early in mm-hmm. life and then manage it well, because it sort of can force you to be yeah. more healthy than yeah. you might have otherwise been. Um, as you know, I'm very aware of like how much I move throughout the yes. day. I really know the more I move, the better in control my diabetes is. There's a huge correlation for me there, mm-hmm. which is e- extra reason why I should be doing the treadmill desk and why you got it for me to begin with. Yeah. Um, so it is gonna, it's gonna be something that plagues him, but at the same time, he'll he'll incorporate it into his everyday life. He won't even think about it. It's so second nature. By the time he's 12, I bet it'll be something that he gives very little active thought to. It'll just be, you know, oh, I do the, you know, I, I, I'll just be in a rhythm. Right. Now, with, with kids and, and doing a lot of sports, that can be a little dicier because if you really do hardcore um, exercise, that can really make your blood sugar plunge. But I'm sure you'll be aware of all these things. He'll be aware of all these things. His coaches will be aware of all these things. And he'll be able to do everything that he wants to do. I mean, I will point out there's an NFL player with type 1 diabetes. Mm -hmm. So he's going to be fine. It's just going to be a big pain in the butt. One well, isn't Mary Tyler Moore had diabetes, right? Like, there's a lot of it's, yes. it's, it's, it's like, oh, it, yeah. yeah, it's something to manage, but it doesn't stop you, I guess. Is the thing. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. And and you can go. My doctor said he has had many patients he's had for 35 years, they've never been in the hospital. I mean, mm-hmm. I've never been in the hospital, I've never had a major no. health issue since I first was diagnosed. When I first, before I was diagnosed and treating it, I had health issues. But as soon as I started taking insulin, since then, I've never had an issue. And that's now been over 10 years. Yeah, well, so good luck, Tanya. Good luck to your son. Um, It's a lot to manage, but it sounds like you've got a great team in place and like a great attitude. And so good luck with that. Yes. So Gretchen, Monica asked, I'm a 28-year-old newlywed architect working for a consulting firm. Recently, I've been dreaming of launching my own wedding planning business along with a book about the same subject. I've always admired you and your journey, and I was wondering if you have any advice for switching careers and starting off as a writer. Well, that's an interesting question, and we get similar questions quite often. Yeah, we do get a lot of questions sort of along these lines. Well, one thing we would say is listen to Side Hustle School podcast, because this is really a great resource for anyone who's sort of thinking about switching careers or adding a side gig. Um, or just wanting to explore a different path than the one that they're on. Um, That's just the huge theme of it, and it's such a fun podcast to listen to. But one of the things that I think is sometimes people set it up as a false choice. Like, I'm either this or I'm that, and if if I'm not going to be an architect, 
then I have to quit being an architect altogether and then launch a wedding planning business. And and this is something that, that Chris says on Side Hustle School and that I think sort of from my own experiences, can you do both for a while? Can you transition mm. not abruptly, not like burn all your bridges, but um, to try to think of, well, how could I set myself up in the new path while I'm still on the old path? Because, um, and I'm writing a book about the same subject, like, writing a book is something that many people think sounds like fun. I think it's fun. You think it's fun. Not everybody actually thinks it's fun. Like that is something that you can do on the side. Like I started writing my book when I was clerking and when I was working for the Federal Communications Commission, like start doing it and see, do I have as much to say as I think? Do I like the process as much as I expected? Like don't necessarily throw, like don't, don't feel like you have to start completely over, but try to integrate the two together to make the transition easier is one of the things I would say. And then I would say, Gretch, you know, the other thing is when you're trying to do any endeavor, it's like, what makes you special, right? Like the, the famous thing of saying, what gives you the unfair advantage? Yeah, yeah. And I think being an architect and understanding space could be a great advantage for yeah. a wedding planner. And that could be sort of your thing. But the more established you are as an architect, the more people will take that seriously. Like, oh, well, this, you know, she's been an architect for X number of years. She really understands space and how to make a space interesting. So you can lean into being an architect in order to be a wedding planner. But I do think the more you're sort of settled in being an architect, the more it'll be an advantage as a wedding planner. On the other hand, you do want to, if you want to make a transition, you want to have a plan for making the transition as soon as possible. Because when people say something like, I'm going to do this for 10 too. years, and then right. I'm going to do this whole other thing, it's like, okay, well, maybe you should figure out how to do that now. So I, I think yes. it's good not to postpone, but to try yeah, to no, manage I, it um, in a way so that you're not um, like setting yourself for a bunch of like really high risk situations, but doing it in a very, but, but the thing about thinking about it in advance and being very intentional about it. Um, is a really good idea. Um, uh, there's a book called The Creative Lawyer by a friend of, of ours, so it's full disclosure, um, Michael Melcher. And it's for it's called The Creative Lawyer, but it's really applicable to anybody who's in one field and wants to switch to another field because what he talks about is how do you set yourself up for success in one career as you're switching to another mm. and how do you think oh. about it and how do you decide if you re- if it really is what you want, like how do you experiment and um, it has a lot of good ideas so that's something else that Monica might want to think about. But good luck Monica yes. and congratulations yeah. on being a newlywed. That's exciting. Coming up, we've got a question about day planners, everybody's favorite subject. <laughs> but first, this one. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. I now work with a team, and I am here to say that finding the right candidate and hiring the right candidate is one of the very biggest and most important challenges to anyone who has a small business. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. 
Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. There are some stories about our father's life that I truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, his retelling of the events always brings me joy. Just in time for Father's Day, I found the perfect gift that captures all his stories for our family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your father or father figure's life for years to come. And Gretch, you get a book of all these stories. And I love just keeping a book on the coffee table and anyone from any generation can see a story from dad, like what was his favorite toy or what was his first job. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. Give all the fathers in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash happier. That's storyworth.com slash happier to save $10 on your first purchase. So Elizabeth Melanie writes, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on day planners. Do you use one? If so, which brand do you use? I'm utterly devoted to my passion planner. I love how it encourages you to list your dreams and goals and then provides a passion roadmap to help you plan out small, manageable steps for reaching those goals. Uh, Elizabeth, I actually do not know. Do you have a day planner? No, Gretch, I don't have a day planner. I use just a calendar on my phone that um, my, my assistant, Mary, also has access to so she can add things on. Um, I don't have anything I write on physically, although I often wish I did. What about you? No, I don't either. Um, I switched recently from using, well, I guess like a year ago, from a file of facts to right. a digital calendar. That was a huge shift for me. And it was hard to give up the written file of facts. But I do think that there's just so many advantages to using a digital calendar. But And, and I will make to-do lists that I do, that I keep all the time. But I don't have a kind of uh, any kind of bullet journal or passion roadmap or anything like that. I wonder, for me, I worry that it would become kind of all-consuming, that I yes. that my list-taking <laughs> and yeah. you, my, my desire to be comprehensive would just sort of take over. And so um, I'm almost, like, careful not to engage in that way because I, I wouldn't want it to become, like, a whole task mm-hmm. unto itself in a way that would be um, – really not that helpful for me. Um, But it's something to think about. I think it's always good to think about, to consider, well, would some kind of other planner or time management tool help me up my game? So it's something that I do think about from time to time. And it's really fun to hear what other people use, because I think sometimes you can get ideas for things that you might experiment with. Um, So maybe I'll take a look at planners again and think whether I feel like it's the right time to try it. Well, I do think it's interesting how planners have become so much more than calendars. Yes. Like like Melanie's saying, I mean, it's really people write down inspirational quotes. They they write down their mantras, their mottos, yep. their words of the year, their thought for the day, yep. all sorts of things. So it, it really can be more than just, you know, lunch with Jeremy and noon, you know. Well, it's funny that you say that because I created this better than before day by day journal, and it's really it's a journal that's really focused on habit formation. So it uses the twenty one strategies that I go through in better than before, and there's like ways that you can cross off if you've kept a habit so that you can do the don't break the chain, which works really well for some people. But what's interesting is when I've gone on book tour, sometimes people will show me their like their one sentence journals or how they've marked up the happiness project or their day by day journals, and I see how people have really 
used it in very creative ways that I didn't mm. anticipate. I thought it was just going to be kind of a straightforward habit thing. But habits are so tied to happiness that people often will really use them in these very creative ways that incorporate these other elements. So it's really interesting to see. You're, you're exactly right how people are using this tool in all different creative and genius ways yeah. to kind of uh, track whatever it is that they find to be most helpful. All right. And then Gretchen Joan asked, how many people does it take to put your podcast together? In other words, besides the people in the broadcast studio, are there a lot of other people behind the scenes researching, going through listener mail, etc.? <laughs> and on that subject, how do you decide which questions you will answer on air? You must get so many of them. Well, Joan, I wish there were an entire That's really team of people. You. <laughs> You're looking That's at it. Gretchen Rubin. Yes. Um, now, we have a producer, um, which is great, who, who records us and creates the file and uploads it and does all that. And um, Mary helps Elizabeth from your office um, you know, mm. on the Disney lot. But other than that, it's just, it's pretty much you and me. We don't have a research assistant, we don't have people doing We do our have an ad team. We have an ad team, yes. At, at Cadence thirteen and before that at Panoply, we yeah. The the ads are hell. That's a specialty team. We don't we don't we don't find the ads or write the ad, you know set up the ads. Um, but in terms of creating show notes, show scripts, um, research, looking up links, finding that's references, all you, yeah, that's me. That is me. But I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, and as for how we decide which questions to answer on air, we we kind of just um, look through questions yep. and discuss if there's something we think that a lot of people will relate to, a question that you know will we'll, many people will find helpful, yep. um, or if we have something interesting to say about it. Sometimes if we don't have an answer, we'll pick that question because we think, well, what is the answer to this? Yes. Let's put it out there. Yeah, that's our new listener answer segment that we're introducing because we love those questions. But yeah, we look at them and sometimes we'll forward them to each other and say, what do you think about this one? What do you think about that one? But often there's one that jumps out at us or there's something that comes up over and over and over again. And so we're like, we yes. should tackle this because it's something that many people have uh, have raised so that that's an interesting question and, then the, and i love this question Elizabeth, because you and i both love to read trin asks how did you both become such avid readers did your parents read aloud to you did you have a lot of books in your home growing up did your parents discuss books with you did they take you to the library mm, well yes to all of that yes. um some of my best memories are every night mom and I would go into the living room, which, you know, that room in the house no one ever uses. Yes. There's always that one room. Yeah. We would go into that room, sit on the couch, and she would read Little House on the Prairie oh. to me, the whole series. Yeah. And it's one of my most just cozy memories of just, you know, being with mom while she read me Little House on the Prairie. Um but you know, you are you're way more of a reader than I am. I used to be much more of a reader, um, and I've kind of fallen off, which I've discussed on the podcast. But you literally, I mean, you read while you dry your hair. Yeah. You'll, you're the kind of person who would read while walking around the apartment if you didn't think you might, you know, bump into a wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but and I think a lot of things that our parents did did reinforce that. They did take us to the library all the time. One thing they did that was interesting, you could only buy books on a very special occasion. It's like if we were driving to North Platte, mm -hmm. we would go to the bookstore and we could buy books. And that was like a super big deal. Like I would always get a Wizard of Oz book or, you know, Judy Bloom book. Um, but we went to the library all the time. And my parent, our parents both read a lot. They both read a lot. Um, but it's funny about reading the Little House books because I one of my earliest memories was when I was just learning to read. I was kind of a late reader. Um, 
And I remember learning to read, and I re- and and Dad was reading Little House in the Big Woods, which is like a book that changed my life. Um, uh, and he was reading it to me, and but I could read along with him for the first time, and I realized that he was skipping <laughs> to get, which I've done as a parent now. Like you like skip some oh, of the kind of extraneous stuff because you want to get to the end of the chapter faster. And I'd be like, oh, No, Dad, funny. you forgot to read the part about the pumpkin or whatever, and yeah. I busted him. And um, I just was like, oh, my gosh. I was like, ooh, you can't fool me. I can read the page myself. And I, that's one of my happiest reading uh, memories. But I think we did. We just had – I mean, I think, Alyssa, you're just in a place in your life now where it, you just don't have the time. Um, but the love is there, and it would come back. Like, if you're on vacation, you read and stuff. Yeah. So part of it I is having a lot of vacation. And you listen a lot in your car because you're, com- you're commuting all the time. Um, another thing, Gretchen, um, that I feel strongly about, and I think you do too, is letting kids read whatever they want yes. to read. Yes. Um, we were anything we wanted to read, we could read. Yes. Um, it didn't have to be like classic literature. No. Um, and I think that's hugely important. I think let kids lead themselves, you know, in the direction they want to go and don't worry about what it is. Reading anything is more important um, than what it is. Yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And there's a lot, because I love children's literature now. I talk to people a lot about children's literature, and I hear adults saying, like, oh, I hate it when they read this or that, or this stuff is trash. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, look, it's what they like. I mean, nobody's going around telling you, oh, you shouldn't be reading, you know, whatever. I, I agree. Like, they love to read when they love what they're reading. And um, to give them a love of reading, you have to let them. Um, like I gave Jack um, some horrible histories, which is a great. Yes. And I said to I said to you, Elizabeth, I'm like these are truly gruesome. So I'm just <laughs> saying, like it's like the rotten the rotten Romans, um, and yeah. I'm like it's bad because but it's all historically accurate, but it's bad. And you're like, oh, I think he'll love it, and he does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, no, exactly. Um, and where some people might say like, oh my gosh, but he likes it. Yeah, it makes him want to read. Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, he has books that actually make me gag when I read them are so gross um but he thinks they're hilarious well (laughs) and that makes him read and so that's such a happy last question trin um to think about reading and what our parents did to help give us this love of reading that has been such a joy to both of us throughout our lives yes and thank you everyone for these amazing questions Um, it's so fun to hear from everyone and such a great way to celebrate our 200th episode yay thank you listeners for being with us that's great. Gretchen, we've patted ourselves on the back for this before, but it's worth doing it again. We have not missed one week. We've had a new episode every week since we started. I give myself a gold star for that at least once a week. <laughs> in my own yeah. <laughs> Coming up, demerits and gold stars. But first, this break. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. 
Get IXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, it's time for demerits and gold stars. And Elizabeth, this week you are up for a demerit. Okay, Gretch, I've got one. I really, I just don't know how this happened. But I was in Kansas City a few weeks ago. And um, I was there five nights, a really nice long visit. And I didn't go on any walks with Dad. You know, Mm. Dad um, gets, well, he exercises every morning, but a lot of times, especially when we're in town, he'll get up and take a long walk and we'll go with him. And I don't always go as much as you do. You go like on every walk, but I usually go on the majority of walks and I didn't go on any walks with dad. Was it because it was so cold? No, it was, except for one day, it was really, it was like in the 60s. I wow. think it was because I was just maybe really tired yeah. from just, you know, coming out of work. And so I was sort of staying more on LA time. So I wasn't waking up till like 9 or 9.30. Um, and I don't know, I was just feeling lazy. And then I finally got myself up the last morning we were there to go for a walk. And then it was like 30 degrees. And I was like, <laughs> oh, maybe not. So I missed that special one-on-one time with dad um, walking around Kansas City, seeing all the new stuff. He always points out what's happening that's new in KC. We walk through the museum, uh, through the museum grounds, which always have, you know, has wonderful things to see. Kaufman Um, Gardens, which has beautiful gardens. Yeah, down by Brush Creek. Yeah, so I missed out on that. So next time I'm in KC, I got to do a better job. Yeah, it is really fun, but the the time change does not work to your advantage. When I'm in no. Kansas City, the time change works gives me an extra hour. It takes away two yes. hours for you, so that that's that's a hurdle. Yes. Um, okay, Gretch, what is your gold star? Well, my gold star is also related to your Kansas City trip, and I just want to give you a good gold star for being such a good sport because going to Kansas City and coming home from Kansas City, you had really bad luck with the flights. You got delays, yes. and then leaving, you had the blizzard. There was this big Midwestern yes. blizzard, which the minute I heard about it on the news, I'm like, oh my gosh, Elizabeth, Adam, and Jack are in Kansas City, and I think that's the day they're going to try to fly. You got out, but it was like very, very oh. touch and go. It was like whiteout yeah. conditions. It was crazy. And you were a very good sport, and you were like, oh no, it was a great trip, except for you know a couple like glitches. And so, well done, because it can really, it wasn't a tremendously long trip, so you know it's it's hard when the traveling is annoying. And uh, you were such a good sport about it. Well, I think everybody can relate to holiday travel. It's yes. always stressful. Um, I won't say I was you know so wonderful and sunshiny. But um, the three of us made it through without yeah. killing each other. So I guess that's really <laughs> yes, all we yes, can yes. Um, hope for. Um, thank goodness for iPads yes. is all I can say. Absolutely. Um, and we were very lucky that our flight made it out, although it was five and a half hours late. A lot of people I heard on the phone making plans to take Amtrak 
to their destination. Oh my gosh. Um, so anyway, so yes, thank you for that gold star. Um, we made it out and we did have a great trip. Other that's, than that. That's great. And that is it for this episode of Happier. Thank you listeners for coming with us on this long road to episode 200. It is a thrilling milestone for us. So thank you for listening. Thank you so much to Lou Pellegrino, who's filling in for Bob Tabador today. And thank you, Bob, as always. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Instagram at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Liz Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. You've heard me say it 200 times, and I will say it again on the 200th time. If you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcast and rate or review us. It really, really helps other listeners to find the show. The resources for this week, if you want to sign up for the waiting list to be notified when my Happiness Project experience goes on sale on December 26th, um, you can go to courses.gretchenrubin.com slash happiness. I know that's a lot. The link will be in the show notes. It's courses.gretchenrubin.com slash happiness. There's going to be an early bird discount that if you want to take the Happiness Project experience, you don't want to miss the discount. Um, and this is the online course that's going to help you set up and stick to your own happiness project in 2019. And I mentioned before that the Try This at Home and the Happiness Hacks are ready for you. Um, if you go to gretchenrubin.com slash resources, um, you can get, get those PDFs or you can just look at the show notes for this episode. Episode, of course, 200, uh, happiercast.com slash 200 for the link to go to to download those. If you're thinking about a last minute gift ideas, don't forget about Gift of Podcast. Go to giftofpodcast.com. And there's the Happiness Project Journal, the Happiness Project Coloring Book. I got tons of stuff um, for the gift recipient in your life. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and Upward. Next stop, episode 300. <laughs> yes. <laughs>